Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, send it in to podcast at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join the Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. Today's episode is a longer one, but it's a great episode. So I'm going to make this intro short and sweet if I can. In this episode, I am chatting with Jason Phillips. I had heard about Jason a while back. I had heard him a few times on different podcasts. And then when I became good friends with the Mind Pump guys, I kind of learned more about Jason because he's really good friends with them. And I was hoping to meet him at the podcast Heart Event. I wanted to meet him in person, but he didn't get to go. So I missed out on that. But we ended up podcasting after the fact, which I was really excited about. And Actually, the the first time I had ever heard Jason on a podcast a few years ago, he was sharing his story of struggling with male anorexia, and that really caught my eye because I feel like there aren't a lot of men talking about their struggles with eating disorders so openly, and I just had a lot of respect for him and sharing his story, and then I started following him more, and I started to realize, wow, this guy just knows a lot about literally everything. You can get him to talk about any topic related to nutrition, fitness, health, business. He is a really inspirational speaker and really inspirational in terms of business. So we kind of hit on every topic in this episode. There is a lot to learn from him. He is very motivating. He is the founder of IN3 Nutrition and the Nutritional Coaching Institute. I have a lot of colleagues who have gone through the Nutritional Coaching Institute and absolutely loved it. Jason also talks a bit about his mastermind in this episode. I think you guys are really going to enjoy hearing his perspective in terms of business and then also we touch on different health topics and then we also discuss eating disorders so it is I mean a very all-encompassing episode I had so much fun chatting with him he's really easy to talk to and I always enjoy chatting with people where it's just kind of a fluid conversation and feels like you've known each other for a while a few disclaimers first of all we do talk about eating disorders at the end of this episode so if that triggers you keep that in mind The second thing is this episode contains a lot of explicit language, and I know you guys are not a stranger to that on my podcast, but this one, we drop more F-bombs than usual, I suppose, depending on the guest. So if you don't like the F-word, you don't like swearing, then this episode probably isn't for you. But we actually start off the episode by chatting about swearing and why we swear and other people's reactions to it. So just to give you a little intro into the discussion but I'm really excited to hear what you guys think about this episode I thoroughly enjoy it and I know that if you listen to the whole thing you will get a lot a lot of value so let's go ahead and just hop straight into it I'm going to cut into this conversation with the one and only Jason Phillips 
At our last certification, I had somebody leave in 10 minutes in the beginning because I was like, listen, if you can't deal with the F word, like, you know, I'm yeah, going to drop yeah. F bombs. And I'm like, if you can't deal with it, I'll just give you your money back. And somebody on the live stream was like, I can't handle this. And it was the, literally the first person. Like, we've certified a thousand people. And she was like, yep, can't handle it. I'm like, dub, dude, here's your money. Peace out. Like, I'm not changing. Why? Like, why do you think that bothered? Like, why do you think that bothers people? Um, I mean, I like, so like when people ask me all the time, you know, they, they always like bring it up and they're like, um, you know, oh, it's so bad. Like, can't believe you say that in front of your kids and this and that. And I'm like, you know what? It's a word. And like, we as a culture have assigned this meaning mm-hmm. and you know, you as an individual get to assign meaning. And so I, I mean, I've never understood why any word is vilified, um, you know, I, I also don't understand why I seem to use that word so much, but, um, I, I don't know why people get so butthurt. Like it's their own like insecurity or I I don't want to say they're like insecure to the word, but they're like, people just play by the rules are so safe. And I've never cared about being safe ever. Um, like growing up, I, you know, I played golf, um, professionally. And so, when I was an amateur, my mom would, you know, she'd come to my events and like when I was 16, 17, I would start saying like shit in the house or damn. And like my mom would always let me get by with those words. But if I ever said fuck, she like, she got on my ass. And so then like on the golf course, right when I was playing junior golf, she would come watch me play. And if I, you know, I didn't, I never censored myself for her and like, she just got used to it. So now she knows it's coming, but like my mom, like she hates the F bomb. I don't know. Maybe I'll ask her. You should ask her. I always wonder where that's coming from. Like, and because when people say, if someone ever says anything to me, and I'll just be like, they'll be like, don't say that. And I go, why? And they don't, they don't know what to say. It's a bad word. Like, that's always there. That's always their thing. But like, I had, um, you know, like, I have like a, a Mormon client, and she, you know, for her, it's like a religious thing. Like, I, I mean, I guess I get it, but I'm also not overly religious. So, mm-hmm. um, Maybe I'm just, I don't know, maybe I'm just a bad person. I don't know. No, I mean, the thing is that they're just words and people are giving power to words, right? Amen. For no for no reason. And I think that's also why, I mean, you talk about like kids and rebellion and anything that you tell someone they can't do, they're going to want to do. 100%. And like, I mean, in, in other cultures, you know, swear words aren't as much of an issue and like you don't hear... I mean, I don't, maybe I just don't know their language, but you don't hear people that are, you know, quote unquote, dropping F-bombs all over the place. And But like if you go to another country, like they're not offended by you swearing either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just, well, there's been, I mean, people who swear more, that's been correlated with what, like higher intelligence, more passion, like deeper understanding of life. I definitely, <laughs> I definitely believe the passion thing because for me, like until I started public speaking, I... I never understood it as a passion play. But now it's like when I'm on stage, I have to. Like, I can't help it. Has that ever been a problem? Like, um, besides you with the certifications, like you public speaking like, um, somewhere else? I'm, I went to, I did a seminar at a gym in Vegas, and they asked me when I came in, they said, you know, we have a, a decent amount of our population that's Mormon, and, uh, you know, they're going to be offended. Could you try to tone it down? And so I like I actually did a pretty good job that day, but it's weird. Be, and not that I didn't feel authentic in what I said, but I just like 
I could tell that I was very careful with my words. And I like to, I don't know, like you've ever heard me say, like, I don't ever prepare public speaking ever. Mm -hmm. So like, I've like the fact that I had to make like a slide deck for, um, like fitness business summit last year, like I made it the night before and I was like, whatever, here's some words for you to look at. Cause I had no idea what I was going to say. I just get on stage and like, whatever comes, it comes and it's all passion. Why, why do you never prepare? I, number one, I hated school and I was so bad at it that like the idea of preparing a speech think, makes me think of school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have no desire to sit down and do that. And like my staff will tell you when it comes to like detail oriented shit, like, you know, reports and this and that, like don't even bother including me cause I'll fall asleep in the meeting. Um, but like the, like the passion of just being able to speak from the heart. Um, and, and I feel like I have a superpower in the sense that I can go on a stage and I can instantly see in people's eyes what they're connecting with. And then I can just go deeper and deeper into that. Um, I feel like if you're really speaking authentically, you don't necessarily have to, you don't necessarily have to prepare, right? I mean, it's, it's literally like what's in your head and what's in your heart. And, um, you know, it's everything I do is connection oriented anyway. So I love to, you know, vibe and feed off the crowd and, and just go and it served me well. Um, maybe it's not the right way, but it's definitely served me well. No, I'm similar. I don't like to prepare for anything because anytime I've ever, actually, it's funny that you say that it does remind me of school and it gives me like extreme anxiety. Cause I always had a lot of anxiety around school and like prepping for things. And then I've learned that anytime I prepare, I do so much worse because I'm trying to remember what I prepared and yes. I'm not in the moment. Yep. Um, I'm totally with you. Like I just did a whole weekend event this past weekend. And like the whole goal of the event was to upsell people into my mastermind. Um, and so like literally I just, I don't know how much do you study Russell Brunson at all? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So Russell's got like this price marinade strategy. And that was the only thing I knew that I like wanted to use. And I made sure I implemented that. The rest of it was just a hundred percent. Like I had time blocks for each thing. So like, you know, Friday morning was like educate on my three dimensional model. And then Friday mid morning, someone speaks Friday afternoon, someone speaks and then I close. And like, so I had time blocks, but I had no idea what was going to be said. Like the feedback on this event was absolutely insane. Like people were like, I would have paid five times what I paid to come to this. Um, and every single person upsold into my mastermind. So that's awesome. Do you ever get, well, probably not now, but when you first started public speaking, did you get nervous? So, I did for sure. Um, like I used to get really nervous in front of gyms and now I never would get nervous in front of a gym. Um, I got nervous the first time I spoke at Google. Like I was super nervous. Um, what did you talk about at Google? Uh, nutritional application. And so, but I've spoken there three times now and, um, like everybody there just like loves me now. So it's a little more comfortable for me there now. I was super nervous on the FBS stage earlier this year. So I was literally backstage like pacing. I was like freezing. My hands were sweaty. Like it like so uncomfortable. And I remember just like, you know, the announcer, like he announces you the way that you want to be announced. And he totally fucked up how I wanted him to announce me. (laughs) (laughs) What did he say? Well, like I was just like, dude, like you got to remind them that I'm so much like a, a Gary Vee type speaker where I'm going to come at it with like 20 minutes of fire and then I want engagement. Like I want 20 minutes or, you know, 10, 20 minutes of Q&A. And um, he didn't say like a word about that. 
And so like it actually kind of helped though because I got on the stage and I was like, wow, Josh, way to fuck that up. And like he like he totally started laughing and I was like, it like instantly calmed me down. Um, so, but that was probably the last time I really got nervous for something like that. Impressive. So have you always been like good at speaking? No, dude, I was like the shyest person in the world growing up. So what um, changed? So like my whole business success changed and it was, it was predicated on like one meeting. So I went to, I went to Ryan Lee's mastermind one day and I remember going there and I laugh at myself now cause I, I was making like ten, twelve thousand dollars a month and I was like, I'm such a baller. Like I'm doing so good with this online thing. And like, I vividly remember like thinking that to myself, like I was so high on myself, but yet I doubted like the ability for me to make this like a career. And that's why I was there. I'm like, how do I build like long-term success and sustainability with this? And so like the whole first half of the day, I didn't really feel like I got anything. And then we went to lunch and somebody asked me a nutrition question. And like typical me, I like, I totally fucking nerded out. Like I was like, you know, explaining like the physiology and like the biology and like, um, but I guess I, like, people tell me like I have this way where I make it sound really simple. Um, and so I made it sound really simple to them. And so like we go back in the room after lunch and they're like, well, we know what your problem is. And I was like, what's that? And they're like, well, you just don't believe in yourself. They're like, we literally heard the smartest, most articulate person that like we've ever heard at lunch. And yet you come in here like you completely doubt yourself. They're like, you need to go in the world and you need to be the person that we all see you to be, which is like the world's best nutritionist. And so like upon leaving there, that's where they like, they really put it in my brain that unless I make that mental switch, that I'm never going to be successful. And so like going home, I vividly remember like writing a Facebook post and putting the words, I'm the best nutrition coach in the space. Now I'm going to prove it to you. And that was like, that was the game changing moment. And for whatever reason, shortly after that, like I started to build confidence. Obviously it wasn't like overnight, but I started to do the things that helped me develop confidence. Wait, so you actually did, did you make that your Facebook status? I, it well, it wasn't like, it's, it's like, I mean, this was still like <laughs> when timelines were happening. So I, I wrote that on my timeline. Oh, okay. So, so, okay. So what makes you the best nutritionist? man, that's such a hard question because even now, like, um, you know, I I have, so first of all, in that statement, I have respect for every coach in the space because if you're genuinely like a coach and you're genuinely like wanting to create change, I have, I have massive respect for you because the world needs like good people and and there's literally billions of people in the world that need help. So I just want to caveat and say that because otherwise it's like, gosh, like, you come off so conceited and I fucking never want that. Like, I feel like I'm a pretty humble dude. Um, honestly, man, like I, I think it's just, it's just connection. Um, I care deeply. Like I care so deeply about my clients and I literally have like case studies where there's people that I just don't think would do like what I would do. Like when I was living in Florida, one of my clients in Oregon, uh, needed to have lab work and was like super scared. She wasn't going to get like the right stuff from the doctor and so I like, got on a plane, flew to Oregon, went to the doctor with her, like made sure she got like the right lab work and then flew home like the next day. Um, and, you know, like that was like the, the beginning of it. But, you know, I was coming up in the space and I don't know how much you know about my story, but I was anorexic. 
right? And so from anorexia to where I am today, I probably hired every coach in the space. Like I, like I hired Lane before he was Lane. Like I worked with like the Hawny Rambods of the world, Scott Abels of the world. Like, um, like you name it, I probably networked with them or worked with them. And I kept finding things where I was like, gosh, I wish, you know, I wish somebody would do this for me. I wish somebody would do that for me. And really what it came down to was like, I wasn't ever getting connected to these people or I never felt like they were there for me in my moments of need. You know, like it's one thing to have macros. It's one thing to have food. It's one thing to have a whole prescription, but it's another thing to have somebody there to like walk the journey with you. And I felt like that was, I was one of the first people that like really brought that to the space. Yeah, no, I totally relate to that. That was kind of the same experience I had. Like I've worked with so many people and I never felt like they were actually with me, you know, and that's like what I wanted. I was like, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm like, I don't really need to know the nutrition information. Like I need you to be with me. People need to know what, not how. Yeah. Yeah. So, but no, I totally, and I think that's what people don't recognize like that's going to make or break the results like if you're not connected with the person you're working with like on an emotional level or like they need to be as invested in you like even more so than you are in you then you're not going to get the same results like they don't even have to be the smartest person in the room but they just have to be the most invested completely agree with you a million percent and i think that's where i think so many people just miss that you know it's um i would trade i would trade just like small amounts not like you know completely or absolutely but I would trade small amounts of knowledge for um, willingness to connect. And so, you know, as I've built my team where I have 15 people that work for me, one of the questions I used to get all the time was like, how do you hire your coaches? And 100% I hire on the quality of the person, not the skill set. Because teaching nutrition is very simple, but I can't teach you not to be a douchebag. <laughs> True. Well, how do you determine the quality of the person though? That seems like really, I mean, that's hard. Well, I mean, I think that's where you just kind of have to play to your intuition, right? Mm -hmm. Um, One of my best coaches and the person that wrote my mindset certification, you know, she came through my mentorship. And when she joined my mentorship, she's like, you know, is there a possibility that I could work for you at the end of this? And I swear to you, before she even finished her question, I was already telling her yes. Because it's like she had the skill set, right? I mean, she came from um, being a psychologist where she was connecting with people and understanding the mindset behind change. And I'm like, well, now the vehicle that you're going to implement is food versus psychological tactics. So it's relatively a similar process. Um, and I knew she was a good person, passionate person. And so, um, actually every person that works for me, I had some sort of personal connection to them prior to them, like working for me. Um, or like they just got noticed. Uh, like there's a girl that we just joined that just joined, like, um, you know, she's an Olympic lifter out of college. And like, she literally went through every single channel that like we have to like get to me and was like relentless in getting to me. And, um, you know, like, like we were talking about earlier, it's like, there's, there can sometimes be like a lock and key and like getting to me, like there's so many lines of defense that are in my, mm-hmm. in my system. Like my assistants are so like, they're so careful with my time and my calendar. Um, like one dude that we just hired to to sell for our coaching brand, he made me a video and you know put it on YouTube privately and was like, hey man, like would love it if you would check this link out. And so my uh, my COO watched it and he's like, hey, I heard you're getting a corporate office and I'm pretty much like 
uh, qualified to be the world's best um, toilet cleaner. And so, you know, if you need someone to clean the toilets in your office, like, I'm your guy. And obviously, he was like, dude, just kidding. Like, I have a marketing degree and this and that. And like, but the fact that he took the time to like go that far and like get in our face, like, obviously, it got me on the phone, made me investigate his skill set, and it ended up being a good fit. But like, those are the ways that I feel like you can really test character. We're super fortunate in the fact like you know we have an abundance of people that do want to come join our organization so you know, we get to choose on variables like that yeah i mean you got to make yourself stand out right <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh. everyone, social media is like you know especially like social media or like the job market like it's like times square and like if you think about times square like who stands out it's the dude that's you know in his underwear playing the guitar yeah true well it also comes down to it's like kind of what you're talking about that mindset shift like i was I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I go, you know, if I want something, like, it's going to happen. Like, yeah. if you just decide, like, I'm going to get this job, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do, like, it will happen if you decide, right? But so many people don't decide. They say, well, I don't know if I'm going to get it. I have to, maybe they'll hire me. It's like, no, if you want it, get it. Oh, uh, dude, I have the best story for you. Um, I'll try to make it super short, but I feel like this is one that, like, is super descript of what you just said. And you and I, have the same exact mindset like when it comes to that so right after I decided that I probably wasn't good enough to actually keep playing professional golf um aka I ran out of money and I was laying on my futon in my apartment in Orlando and hey, you're way too young but maybe you heard of the show on Bravo called The Workout it was like like the short-haired lesbian chick that owned the gym no. <laughs> okay, so there's like a reality show about this like studio in Beverly Hills. And it's a rooftop gym in the heart of Beverly Hills. And there's like five trainers and they basically like followed their lives. And it was actually a really good concept. It was just like, it was executed really poorly. Um, but anyway, I'm like, I'm watching that show and I'm like, man, like I could train there. Like I should totally be working there. And so like most people are going to like look at a TV show and be like, well, that would be cool. And in like in what you and I just said, we're like, no, like we should be there. I'm going to get that job. Mm-hmm. So I literally picked up the phone and I was like, yo, like, you know, I was like, hey, I would love to apply. And they're like, well, we're not really hiring. And I'm like, no, fuck that. Like, I'm going to send you a resume. And so I sent a resume and they're like, oh, OK, like, you know, we'd love to talk to you. Got on the phone. This is a Friday. And the manager that I talked to, he was like, great you're all good. Like we'll talk Monday about you starting. Mind you, I lived in Orlando. I had no intention of moving to LA, but I was like, this will be cool. Um, so on Monday I call and they're like, um, like, yeah, he got fired. Um, and we're not hiring anymore. And I had just spent like 48 hours telling everybody that I was moving to LA to work at the studio. And I was like, so bummed. I'm like, I go from like thinking I might be on TV and like, you know, I was 23, 24. I'm like, this is super cool. Um, and like I go from thinking I'm going to be on TV to like not having anything. And I was like, there's no way. So I call back and they're like, no, sorry. Like we're just, we're not doing anything right now. Like we're in the transition. And I'm like, fuck. So this is in the day of MySpace. So I went on MySpace and I contacted one of the trainers that was on the show. And I was like, hey, man, I'm going to be in L.A. at the end of the week, which I wasn't. Um, but I was like, I'm going to be in L.A. Like, I have a photo shoot. I really could use somebody to, like, kick my ass just because I'm low energy and the accountability would be great. And he was like, cool, it's 350 bucks." And I was like, dope. I'll see you, you know, whatever, Thursday, Friday. 
So I book a plane ticket. I book a hotel. Actually, I think I called my mom. I had her book a plane ticket in a hotel because I couldn't even afford it. Um, and I went out there and, you know, I bullshit on my mom. I'm like, hey, I got some job interview at Equinox or something. And uh, anyway, I go in the gym. I spent the whole hour, like, just talking up the fact that I should work there. And an hour later, I walked out with a job. Hell yes. That's so amazing. Everyone that says that, like, it's not possible, it's always possible. Like, it's always 1 million percent possible to to get to anyone, to do anything. Like, and I, I mean, like, I'll do anything to to get to, like, where I want to be. Like, I wanted to get connected to, like, Lewis Howes. And, you know, Lewis is a tough person to get to. So what better way than to buy, like, 200 of his books? So I went and bought 200 of his books at his live events and now him and I are connected. So like, you just got to be like willing to put yourself in those situations. And so many people don't believe that that's possible, but it's always possible. Oh, absolutely. No. And you got to make bold moves. And I think also just, I think especially nowadays, like, you know what, you can make any job happen. Like Hell if there's yeah. not a position, make, make it, you know, I completely agree. <laughs> I completely agree. So I think, yeah, I don't know. I think so much of that is people just holding themselves back. But I think I also, okay, can you just explain, because I feel like people are going to be confused. Explain to people like how your business it runs now. Like what is your business? What are you doing? So I have two major businesses, right? So the first one that I started with was just nutrition coaching. And it was one-on-one. And, you know, I, like, do you know my like Thanksgiving miracle story? No. Oh, man. So five it's either four or five years ago, like this past Thanksgiving. I want to say it's five. Um, I woke up on Thanksgiving Day and I was in Copper Mountain, Colorado. And the girl I was dating at the time, we were on vacation. And are you familiar with my Starbucks streak? No. What is all this? Do you have a book of like... <laughs> oh, man. Like, I feel like these are the things that like people even like know me for. Like... So I may have I may have been to Starbucks more than like any human being on this earth, and I have a five plus year, every single day go to Starbucks, get an Americano streak, like still running to this day. Um, and so this must have been four years ago because I was I was over a year into the streak, and I wake up and I'm like, great, we got to go get coffee, which in Copper it was like in the Safeway um, of the town, like it was Thanksgiving Day. We had to pick up the stuff for Thanksgiving dinner. And so like we're on our way to the grocery store. And I like, for whatever reason, I look at my bank account app on my phone and I was overdrawn. And I was like, fuck, like it's a holiday. You can't like, I can't get bailed out. Like I can't call my mom and be like, hey, put cash in my account. I can't call friends. I can't like deposit anything. Like I literally had nothing, dude. And you want to talk about the most depressed like I've ever been in my life in that moment and so like we get there and my girlfriend's like do you want to get your coffee I'm like no like we can walk around the store and like the whole time I'm trying to think of a way to tell her right this girl that I'm trying to impress that like I don't have money to pay for coffee let alone groceries and Thanksgiving dinner let alone the rest of the trip and so I was super scared um and so like we're walking the aisles we're putting shit in the cart and I was gonna like wallow in my own pity I like I go to open up the account to figure out how the fuck I was overdrawn and out of nowhere, a $500 check had cleared and it's not supposed to happen. It's a bank holiday. Like it, it just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, so we call it the Thanksgiving miracle because it literally gave me just enough money. Obviously I went and got my coffee to keep the streak alive, but 
then I got groceries and paid for the trip. And like, that was the day where I was like, all right, I'm all in. Um, I went home and I just did like one-on-one coaching. I'm like, I don't care how many hours a day, how many people I have to coach. This is all I want to do. It's the only thing I'm good at. I've left corporate America a hundred times. Um, like this is it. This is all I want to do. And so anybody that would like, let me talk, I would talk. And I didn't care if they were going to pay me $50 or $500. I was willing to help them. And three months later, I had a business that was generating over $10,000 a month. And just from going out, connecting and working with people, one-on-one model, monthly, recurring, you know, on average, I was charging 150 bucks. Um, And so I scaled that all the way to, I was personally working with 167 clients, um, which was taking up 20 hours of my day. Yeah. I was Uh, like, did you sleep? Like, oh, I slept four hours. I would wake up at 4am and I'd go to bed at midnight. Um, and I would literally take phone calls for the better part of 20 hours every day. Um, and right before I hit burnout, I realized I should probably scale. And that's when I started hiring coaches. And so I now have 15 coaches on that side of the business. Uh, I also offer mentorships to new coaches and I have a mastermind for other people that are trying to build businesses in the space. So that's one half of the business. And then last year, um, in July, I realized that there's a massive gap in education um, there's like that blue hexagon certification that everybody knows. And I realized they're really intelligent in terms of distributing science, but a lot of people are smart when it comes to nutrition, but they lack the ability to apply. And I realized my strong suit and my genius was in application. I literally could, you know, I could take you if you're metabolically adapted, I could take you if you're hormonally fucked, I could take you, you know, no matter who you were, like if you had non-compliance issues, I could figure out how to solve those. Like my genius really lies in the application. And so I built um, the Nutritional Coaching Institute, which not only teaches you the science of nutrition, but also teaches you how to go out and create impact with that. Um, And so now we have a level one cert. We have a hormone specialty, a mindset specialty, a business systems, and then level two launches in June. So that's kind of the whole business umbrella. So what's going to be in level two? So level two is like a, is a much deeper dive into everything. Um, so like we go into like gut microbiome, we go into more, um, like, like in the physique world, we talk about like peaking. Um, we, let's see, I'm literally trying to pull up the outline as you're talking. So, um, on part one in the science side, you're going to learn calorie intake expenditure difference in gender and body types. Um, fat loss and metabolic adaptations that affect the rate of fat loss, HPA axis, its role in dieting, the endocrine system, um, micronutrient fiber, the gut microbiome, insulin sensitivity, and advanced supplementation protocols. And then on the application part of level two, you're going to learn client communication, establishing the process, creating vision, specialty protocols like carb cycling, fasting, keto, plant-based, and detox, um, body comp specific, so physique shows peaking, performance specific, so pre-peri, post-event, and full periodizations, uh, longevity-specific protocols, overcoming plateaus, reading and understanding lab work, how to interpret and apply, and then some advanced case studies. That sounds killer, honestly. Yeah. That's so that super exciting. exciting. Yeah. Um, so that's like, that's kind of been our thing, man. Like We've put a 1,000 people through that search since last July, and it has been nothing short of amazing. Like I've literally... 
between that and then obviously people stepping into the mastermind, I've watched people come in that like were just nutrition clients of mine. They're like, oh my God, you changed my life. I want to pay this forward. And now they're like multiple six-figure earners in the space, which is amazing. That's, no. I mean, I think it's very impressive what you've built. So that's, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's really awesome. And I feel like I've talked to quite a few people who have gone through your certification and just say it's like changed their lives. So well, I just, like I really appreciate that. I mean, that's super cool to to hear. I think that um, so you know we were talking about public speaking. I think one of the the crazy powerful parts is you know unlike the other certs that are all digital based, we do deliver ours um, in person. And I like to think of myself as a powerful speaker. So I think part of it is that forty eight hour interaction where you know, you're gonna step foot in my room and like you know I don't say this super lighthearted. But like, I'm going to fucking break your ass down and I'm going to figure out like your own bullshit because as a coach, if you can't call yourself on your own bullshit, how are you going to call a client on theirs? Mm-hmm. And you can't really lead without what you live, right? You can only lead what you live and you need to, you should be trying to live with how you're leading. Um, and so like, I, I genuinely think that we're just making rooms full of better people and better people are going to leave better legacies which just means our world is going to be in a better place in 10 years. You know, like my mission statement is to take the world from repair to optimization. You know, we right now are repairing the damage that's been done the last 10 to 15 years in this space, be it paleo or zone or, you know, misapplications of those diets, not vilifying those diets, but misapplying a lot of what has been out there. Um, And so we're having to pick up the pieces. We're having to fix the HPA axis issues, the GI issues, and, and so I think that if we do everything properly the next decade, that um, everything beyond that, you'll start to see that the nutritional world will revolve around optimization and far less around what we're implementing right now. Let's talk more about that for a second because um, people are probably probably wondering, like, do you have a set philosophy in terms of nutrition? Like you talk about paleo, keto, zone, vegan, you know, like what your philosophy behind all that is. Yeah, so I literally only live by, and I just developed this statement like last week. Um, I live by like one statement: context is king. So there's no right or wrong. There, everything has its own application in the right context. Um, and I say that even inside of specific situations. So some people are going to be like, "Well, reverse dieting is right for metabolic adaptation." Well, maybe it is, maybe it's not. And the way that you reverse is not always going to be the same. Um, based on the context, like how adapted is the person, um, what HPA axis issues exist, what GI issues exist, um, you know, and, and those are actually going to then dictate the protocol, right? So if you're dealing with somebody that is slightly adapted, um, they're, you know, late stage two, early stage three adrenal issues, I won't say adrenal fatigue, I know it's not accepted, but um, when you look at like a DHEA to cortisol ratio or the symptoms that would present for that, um, you know, the way you treat that is going to be completely different than somebody that's been adapted for years and that's potentially stage three, stage four, um, and symptomatic of what stage three, stage four would be. So it's always going to be contextual. And then it's also understanding what the big picture goals are. What let's, I want you to kind of just go after the calories in versus calories out. Um, topic. I just kind of want you to go for it. 
Uh, I mean, I'm not going to vilify it because like science proves that it's true, right? So here's, here's the truth is there's studies like the McDonald's diet and Twinkie diet, right? And when somebody ate nothing but McDonald's in a calorie deficit, they lost weight. But here's what no one else wants to say. Like those fucking zealots want to be like, well, he lost weight. Great. He lost weight. Did you ever test his body comp? Because what you didn't test was the fact that he probably lost lean tissue and he has more body fat today. So nobody in the fucking history of anything has ever come to a nutritionist and said, hey, I want to lose weight and I want to get fatter. Mm-hmm. Also in that process, <laughs> if you're losing lean tissue, you're also reducing your metabolic, your metabolic rate. Like we know that lean, you know, more lean tissue equals a faster metabolic rate. So now you're going to your nutritionist. You're saying, hey, um, I want to lose weight. I want to get fatter and I want a worse metabolism. Like nobody's fucking saying that. So – Anybody that thinks that calories alone are the gold standard is completely full of shit. Do you have to start at calories? Of course. But then like the research is relatively clear. Um, And I think that most – even the fucking zealots, like they have to agree on this. Like research is super clear. If calories are controlled for – if proteins accounted for properly, then the ratio of carbs to fats will not matter in a fat loss setting. That's what research proves. Is there going to be individual variants? Absolutely. Is there empirical data from person to person that shows somebody might do better on carbs than fats? Absolutely. Um, you know, there's so many, so many variables that are going to, you know, come into play. Like relative to science, I should be able to account for my protein, have nothing but protein and fat, no carbs, and lose fat. And if I did that, I would still be fat, no matter how low my calories went. I think it's really interesting right now, especially with the the keto craze, that there are people literally just saying like you can eat all the fat you want if you're in ketosis. <laughs> You'll never. Yeah, that's like the that's like the fucking paleo idiots that <laughs> eat a whole fucking jar of almond butter and then wonder why they're still fat. <laughs> True. Well, you know what's funny is I, um, I think a lot of people, especially more on, uh like in the the bodybuilding side of things, think I'm really interesting because I don't know how much you know about my history, but like I've talked about kind of my health story and there was a period of time where I was just dropping weight, dropping weight, dropping weight and I'm eating like, I was eating seven to 8,000 calories a day, sometimes up to 10. Um, But my, my gut was just so compromised. Like I was dropping weight and I hit 73 pounds. Um, Yeah, I'm five, four, you know, so and no do- doctor. So, so perfectly normal, right? Like, what's the issue? Like, I. Oh, totally. It, totally. it was crazy. Like, the like, no one believed me, and I didn't understand it. Like, I remember thinking, I thought, I'm like, am I imagining in my head all this food I'm eating? Like, like, and then I would have to, you know, I lived with roommates and my family. Everyone was like watching me. Like, I don't understand what's happening. Um, I think what people don't get is like, yeah, when we look at calories in versus calories out. Yeah, like calories in, the calories matter, but also that equation is so complicated. Like if I'm not absorbing anything I'm eating, I'm not getting calories in. So I would, so I would say that anytime we have this discussion, what like the first three words that need to be said are assuming all things normal. Mm -hmm. That's four words, but like (laughs) that shows how intelligent I am, by the way. Um, But like assuming all things normal, calories in, calories out matters. Like the inability to absorb foods, like that's not normal and that's a completely separate case, right? And that goes back to the whole context is king. If you're not absorbing food, like 
are you really taking calories in? And the truth is, I'm not sure that they've ever fucking researched that enough. And like the the peer reviewed, like the evidence based side of things that that wants to just purely live on science and not recognize empirical data, they're just as fucked up as the zealots that they talk about. Like anybody that wants to be like, well, science says this, motherfucker, real life says this. Yeah. Like, and and so I I think that like the smartest and. Actually, I just had this conversation with Lauren Conlin when she was at our mastermind in Arizona. Like the best people in the world are the ones that like they start with science, but they have an open enough mind to look at the real world and say, okay, well, this works. And the truth is science usually follows empirical data anyway. Like how do you know to investigate a phenomenon if you're not witnessing pieces of it happening? Exactly. There's so much that science hasn't tested or that they're not going like they're not going to do a study on. Okay, can you I'm so curious how you get along with Lane. Do you get along with him? Uh, so Lane and I, I would say we get along just fine. Uh, now, I'll tell you this, like, you know, he came like so after I went on Mind Pump, um, I openly misspoke and said nobody had uh, won a world championship using if it fits your macros. And Lane came at me and he was like, dude, did, are you serious? And I was like, dude, like I, I believe there's a difference between flexible dieting and if it fits your macros. And I don't think back then, like when Lane won a world championship in powerlifting, and first of all, he's a strong motherfucker. And um, I have all the respect in the world for his scientific knowledge, but I believe his application back then was not IIFYM. It was more flexible dieting. It was more can you like, explain the difference for people? I think IIFYM is how much shit can you fit in your macros and fucking brag about it on Instagram. And I think flexible dieting is being um, non-exclusive of any food and being inclusive of any food into a diet, but still with somewhat of an emphasis on eating, uh, I don't want to say quality because we're going to be like, what the fuck's quality, but uh, more micronutrient-dense foods. Um, you know, I, I totally believe there's a difference, and I think that like, you know, typical Western culture when flexible dieting became a thing. And I believe like Lane and Dr. Joe were at the forefront of getting that out there. Um, but like when flexible dieting became a thing, like it wasn't, it was popularized as you can have a pop tart or pizza or whatever, um, in as long as it's in your macros. And like inside of five years, it became, well, shit, why aren't you eating fucking pop tarts and ice cream and donuts? Like it was almost like you weren't cool if you weren't doing that. And so I, I think that really like drew the line between flexible dieting and if it fits your macros. So, um, so I don't like on that whole like rabbit hole, like he came at me and he's like, did you really say that? And I'm like, well, dude, like you and I still have the same point of view in the sense that like you can't deny the fact that more micronutrient dense foods are going to leave you healthier in the pursuit of performance or aesthetics. Now, it's also really important that people understand whatever they're pursuing. So if you're trying to be a world champion athlete of any kind, your biomarkers are not going to be great even if you eat perfect foods. Like the fact that you're putting that much stress on your body, that much load on your body, you know, whatever sport or endeavor you're in, it's not fucking healthy. Like the CrossFit Games champion, he's going to die young. Like the guys in the NFL, they're going to die younger. It just it's fact, we know this. Um you know, Mr. Olympia, Phil Heath, like he doesn't get the, you know, the Sandow or Sean Roden. He didn't get the Sandow this year because they went and pulled his blood chemistry and they're like, hey, you're the healthiest. Mm -hmm. Like 
like they went and they looked at him. So people have to understand like what their subsets of goals are. I think this is the shit that's not talking about enough. And again, like this is where if I had one knock on lane, um, and this is not to badmouth him in any way, I want to make sure that's understood. If I had one knock, I would say he only wants to look at peer reviewed and he never wants to necessarily look at empirical. And I think that that's like, I think that's mistaken. Like, I think that there's people out there that take both into account uh, that I would align myself more with. Yeah, I agree. It's it's very self-limiting. I think he's, I, I don't know, I think there's more going on there, though, that he doesn't want to face. But I think that's also a good point. I see a lot of people who, um, I'm like, they're living, like they're training, like they're a high-level athlete. And I'm like, what are you training for? Because yeah. it, like now this has become um, confused, especially like in the health and wellness space. Like people think that it's go hard or go home all the time. And so we've confused actual health with just like performance and they're not the same. Well, we've confused working out with laying on the floor after your training session half dead. Like, <laughs> True. Like our, our definition of creating stimulus in the gym right now is – are you walking out drenched in sweat or did you lay on the ground and take a selfie with your hands so fucking ripped up from the rig? Like that's not the definition of stimulus. And to be honest, that today is the problem far more than it's the solution when it comes to obesity because you're getting people that are burning themselves out and they're, they're combining these like aesthetic based principles and, with performance-based protocols and like the two combined are creating massive caloric deficits which is creating these hormonal issues which is creating these metabolic adaptation issues and long-term creating the inability to lose weight and i literally have thousands of case studies on this at this point because i've spent the better part of four years working with crossfitters and watching how fucked up they are so you think this is a especially big issue in the CrossFit community? Oh, fuck yeah. And then CrossFit in and of itself just made it worse with their new season. Explain. Well, so like in the in the last couple of years until this year, it every year built up to the CrossFit Games, right? Which is July or August, and it was in you know now it's in Madison, Wisconsin. Um it was very easy to periodize your year for. Um you would show up in February, you would do the open. You would have your regionals in April or May, and then you'd go to the games in July or August. So depending on your level, you kind of knew when you had to uh, – like when you had to peak, right? So for the average person, they had to peak in February, and you could periodize the training the rest of the year. Uh, for your games competitors, they didn't have to peak till July or August. Now these people are expected to peak all year round because the qualifiers are literally all year to get to the CrossFit Games. And so you're going to have people competing at their highest level multiple times per year. That's analogous to an NFL player playing all year and not having an offseason. Mm. Can yeah. you imagine what that's doing to them physically and physiologically if they never had an offseason? No, yeah, that's a nightmare. <laughs> and we lab work in our company, and I literally have labs on these athletes immediately postseason that if we didn't recover from these labs, they'd be fucked. And the new season is putting them in a position where they're never going to recover from these labs. What about what about people, though, who aren't, like, competing and they're just doing CrossFit just as exercise? The, the problem is CrossFit is fostered. And, and I'll say 
Today, more than anything, it's probably dependent on the CrossFit gym itself. Mm -hmm. But the CrossFit culture, and this is one person's opinion, has created an environment of competition. And in the beginning, that was good. But the protocols as CrossFit has evolved are becoming more extreme. And so you're seeing people people going to quote-unquote redline um, or threshold day in and day out. And that's not good, right? Like you don't – like NFL athletes – they go to threshold one day per week over the season, which is Sunday, right? In practice, they're not going to threshold in practice. That's why they don't wear pads half the time. It's why, you know, it's shorter in duration. And so, you know, Olympic weightlifters, they don't train at 100% of their max every single training session. Powerlifters, if they fail two or three lifts in a year, that's a lot because they're always training. They're not competing. Now, CrossFit has built this environment of competition every single day. So you're literally pushing yourself to redline and threshold every single day. Combine that with the stress of Western culture. We are a culture that undersleeps, we overcaffeinate, we overstress, we eat poor quality foods, we don't recover from our training sessions like we should. So now we're excessively stressed in the training environment and out of the training environment and we're never creating recovery. I mean, it's, it's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And I kind of want to connect this. Like, I think we probably like work with a slightly different populations, but there are definitely major parallels. Like most of the people who are probably listening to this would identify with like a woman who is super stressed out, overworked, like dieting to some level, whether or not she like knows slash working out like five or six days a week and doing like circuits for an hour, you know? (laughs) Well, I, I think people forget like a calorie deficit in and of itself, that's a stressor to the body. Mm-hmm. And, and so people are like, well, you know, I'm, I'm in a calorie deficit. Why am I not losing weight? Well, you're sending your body to a place of survival. You're literally telling your body that it doesn't have what it needs to survive. And so your body's not going to give up fat. Like we evolved as humans to, you know, survive, thrive, and procreate. Like that's what humans are, are meant for. And so we're not, we're not going to just give up body fat. We weren't designed to walk around with six packs, whether that's what we desire or not. So the further you navigate from set point or homeostasis, the more your body is going to put these protective mechanisms up. So living in a calorie deficit, that's one stressor. Okay, your body's going to slow its metabolic rate because of that. Now adding in training, so that's a stressor, and you're furthering the calorie deficit. Your body's going to start creating adaptation to that. So, you know, any woman that's just doing circuit training or even, you know, walking or jogging and they're living in these severe calorie deficits, well, no shit, you're not losing weight. You're continuing to overstress your body. Yeah. So, okay. So with people like this, how do you sort of pull them out of it? Big picture. So the first thing, to be totally honest, this goes back to the question you asked, like, why, why did I feel like I was a better coach? The first thing you have to do is gain trust. Mm -hmm. Like, Every single person that's listening to this, they're like, great, here's another fucking asshole that's going to tell me to eat more food. And of course you have to eat more food. That's the solution. But you also have to trust that the person that's telling you to eat more food cares about you enough to understand that it's going to be okay and that they understand the emotional aspect of the journey. Like it's not just a physical change. You're not just restoring caloric maintenance, fixing the hormonal issues and then saying, okay, great. Now let's lose weight. Like the fact that some people may have to gain five or six pounds before they can lose weight is traumatizing to some people. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that. I was anorexic. Like if I had 
a French fry and I looked in the mirror the wrong way in the wrong lighting, like forget about it. I was ready to off myself. Like it was bad. So I get it. Like it's the first thing you have to do with a client, build trust, talk about what the plan is. And I say this all the time in NCI, I say education drives compliance. You have to be educating your clients along the way. They have to truly understand the process they've gotten themselves into and why things are happening the way they are. Why are they more hungry? Why are they less hungry? Why are they sleeping better or worse? Why is their digestion changing? Like, what what is it that's happening inside the body? And then I think you can create better compliance. How do you get people comfortable with like that weight gain? Like, because I know a lot of people struggle with this. They'll be underweight and they they have to gain weight as the process of like you know restoring their metabolism and like getting healthy again. And then you know the gain. <laughs> They gain a few pounds and they usually, their health markers are up, like their labs are where they should be. They got their period back, whatever. But now they go, well, you know, I gain a lot of weight. So how do I lose my fat? Sure. Yeah. Um, again, like I think for me, it, it always goes back to education. So if you came to me today and you were one of those people, you're eating 1200 calories, you know, you have no period, your, your hormones are jacked up. Like we're going to go through a whole list of things and we're going to talk about, okay, what is the big picture? Here's the truth though. Nobody gives a fuck about the fat and nobody gives a fuck about the lack of the period and nobody gives a fuck about gaining weight. Like there's things in their life that are affected that are so much deeper than any of these physical items and physiological items, right? I mean, if we were to take this back to like the root of everything, people make decisions in three categories, right? Health, wealth, and relationships. So a lot of times when people are seeking physical change, it's because somebody's not looking at them the way they want to be looked at. Or they really feel a certain way that is not allowing them to function at a certain level. And when they think about that, they're less productive, which yields less finance, right? Those are the three things that are typically strong enough to make you reach out for help, which is why you waited as long as you did to get help. Um, so it's, it's kind of understanding like, hey, Mrs. Jones, if we're able to restore all this and, and get you healthy, like how does your life change? It's like, well – I could finally have the energy to play with my kids. Okay, great. So if we like restore that and you playing with your kids was so significant that you wanted to make this change, are you ready to go back potentially to not being able to do that? And so I, I really think it's taking a step outside of the physical and physiological and creating some sort of life connection with these people. And again, this goes back to my whole philosophy of coaching. You know, nutrition is nutrition. Physiology is physiology. It's not changing anytime soon. The human body is going to be the human body. But understanding how to create compliance and create connection, there's an art to that. And that's where you have to be able to build the trust, walk with your client hand in hand, and get them to where they want to be safely, effectively, and in a manner that is going to allow them to become more successful in life. I want you to talk more about your experience with anorexia. Um, because I have always wanted to have a man on here to talk about an eating disorder. I've had many women, but I've never had a man talk about it. Um, so could you share a bit about kind of how you fell into that? Like your story with that? For sure. So I, um, so I was a golfer my senior year and I was like nationally ranked like top 50 in the world. Um, people in my school thought I was going to go pro and like I play with all the top guys Like I didn't even go to school on Monday or Friday because I was typically traveling to a junior golf tournament. And I um, 
you know, I got hurt right after my senior year. Um, I know it sounds weird to say you got hurt playing golf, but it was just an overuse injury. And I tore my labrum, and it was the first time I had been in a gym in my entire life. And so I'm, like, doing this rehab, like, lifting the pink dumbbells and, like, you know, kind of started to enjoy the the gym setting. Like, I thought it was cool. And then two, like, major things happened. So, one, I was, like, super depressed. Like, I had no direction because I was, like, I just, you know, I can't play golf. And that's all I really knew. But I was in Abercrombie. And mind you, this is circa 2002 where every 18-year-old male's wet dream is to be an Abercrombie model. <laughs> and... They were like, hey, like, you know, the recruiter sees me come out of the fitting room and she's like, hey, do you want to model for Abercrombie? And fuck yeah, I want to model for Abercrombie. And so she gives me her card. She's like, send me some pictures. Um, I'd love to have you up do a shoot. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Like, I'm on cloud nine. Like, we're walking out. It's like me and my mom. And she's like, hey, when you send me pictures, make sure you send me pictures of your abs. I'm like, motherfucker. Like, I'm a golfer. I eat cheeseburgers. I eat chicken tenders. I eat cheesecake. And I drink chocolate milkshakes like it's my job in life. Like, I don't have fucking abs. So I'm literally asking every single person. And, like, so I'm finding out. I'm finding out, like, it's nutrition. It's nutrition. And my pediatrician was like, hey, just read the magazines. Like, read the nutrition articles. They'll tell you how to eat to get abs. Oh, my God. Right? And so – Around that same time, I had gone back to a high school football game on a Friday night. I'm walking with two of my buddies. And this is like one of those moments that just sticks out to me. I could literally paint the picture for you. So vivid, where I was standing, like what was happening. And my friend's dad says to me, he goes, he goes, you've been working out? He goes, you don't look as chubby. And like super innocent. He meant nothing by it. Like I don't ever fault him. But combine where I was at, which was this pursuit of abs, and the fact that instantly somebody put in my head that I potentially was not as lean as I thought I ever was. Like I, I was the kid that literally ate nothing but shit like all my high school career. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, fuck, have I always been the fat kid? Like that's instantly what went through my head. And so I went on like this mission and I read everything and all I read was – don't eat this, don't eat that, don't eat this, don't eat that. And I didn't know what to eat. And so I found myself doing cardio six days a week, circuit training three days per week, and literally eating like 600 calories. Um, and I, I mean, like the ramifications were misery, um, you know, to the point to where I was sitting on the floor of my bedroom one night uh, and almost committed suicide. Like it was that bad. And it, uh, it lasted the better part of a year. Um, I couldn't hold a job. I had no energy. I had no testosterone. I had no social life. I had no connection with my parents. Uh, I didn't have friendships. Um, I, I really was the most isolated I had ever been in my entire life. And, and ultimately, you know, like I said, that, that almost led to me taking my life. Did did people in your life were they saying things to you so nobody did um not one person and i I came to find out that i was two days away from a clinical intervention um where my doctor and my mom were actually going to like put me in a place like in a facility so what happened two days before that happened um so i i the only job i could hold was to work at gold's gym from 5 a.m to 11 a.m so um 
when I said my hormones were fucked up, basically around 2 p.m. every day my body shut down. Um, so I had enough cortisol in my body to kind of run off of in the morning. But around 2 p.m. I would, I would just die like to the point to – it's not like I wanted to take a nap. It's like I physically had to sit down and go to sleep. Like I just could not function. Um, so I would open up Gold's Gym from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. And I, uh, one of the trainers kind of saw what I was doing to myself. And so there was this bodybuilder that would come in every day and he was in contest prep. So he was jacked and he was lean. And I said to her, I said, Hey, I want to, I want to look like him. Um, yeah, really, you know, that's, that's ultimately what I'm trying for. And she's like, Oh, well I do his training and I do his nutrition. And so I was like, well shit, like will you do mine? And she's like, yeah, absolutely. And I was like, cool. And she's like, you need to go eat 4,000 calories. And like, for whatever reason, I put blind trust in her. And again, I'll remind you, this is like 2002, 2003, prior to the MyFitnessPal days. So I went to Barnes and Noble and I bought a calorie counting book and I went home that night and I wrote a 4,000 calorie meal plan and I started eating 4,000 calories the next day. Um, and because I had made the commitment of eating more, you know, they didn't have the intervention. And inside of like three weeks, I had gained 18 pounds, but I wasn't fat. And I remember looking in the mirror and being like, holy shit, like this food thing is not as bad as I thought. And that was like the first movement forward for me. Um, there was still a lot of, uh, there's still a lot of trust that had to be earned over the next couple of years, but it, uh, it definitely, that was the massive movement forward for me. Did you ever get like, like officially diagnosed with anorexia? Um, nobody, like I never went to a doctor or a, you know, psychiatrist mm -hmm. or um but i mean i can look back well and, yeah i was just uh, wondering if you ever uh, saw um, yeah no it never um and and thank god right um because i think back then had you told me that i would have fought you even harder mm -hmm. uh because i was so like one of the like one of the traits that anorexia have or anorexics have is they hold everything they do as a trophy so they'll always tell you that like what they're doing is not detrimental it's that you're just too weak to do what they're doing and that they're massively disciplined. And so even though they're suffering internally, they're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, fuck you. You just don't have the discipline. And that was my attitude back then. I was like, yeah, well, I can sit here in my college class and I can eat chicken and green beans and, you know, like two ounces of each and, and starve. And you're over there eating your fucking Cheetos. Like that was how my mindset worked. Yeah. And that just keeps you in it. Right. 100%. Yeah, it just keeps you. And, and so if you, you know, I, I think that the way that people are approaching eating disorders is it's somewhat flawed. Now, obviously, I'm not a registered dietitian, and I'm not a psychologist. And so I'm not equipped to like go out and treat that crowd. But I've spoken with a lot of people that have food, quote unquote, relationship issues. And like, there's a lot of mindset stuff, obviously, that goes into it. And I think that the way that uh, clinicians attack it is not the best way right now. I would 100% agree. This is like an area that I, most people I work with have like some type of eating disorder. Um, but I'm curious what you think a better approach is. So I really believe that education is, is everything. Um, and awareness is everything, right? So I, I think all change in life stems from self-awareness. So if you literally can take an anorexic and help them get – if somebody back then had been able to show me what I was doing and logically help me understand why it was like correlating with all the negativity in my life 
but then actually tried to understand the fact that it anorexia in and of itself for me was just a mask of my insecurity in the fact that I thought it was a way for me to get girls. I thought it was a way for guys to respect me. Uh, I thought it was a way for me to reclaim my quote unquote fame that I had while I was golfing. Um, like literally that's, that's what it was for. Um, then I think that I would have had more success earlier, but you know, again, everyone just wants to demonize the action and they want to talk about health. Anorexics don't give a fuck about health. Like they care about the ramifications of body composition change, period. And so you have to speak to them on their terms. You have to level up with them and, and the same as bulimics and the same as exercise bulimics. Like you have to level up with them on their terms, talk their language, and that's how you're going to move them through. So I think it's really interesting though that you were able to just like like the next day I'm just going to do 4,000 calories. Like did you have a mental struggle with that at all? I didn't, which to this day, I do not know why I put blind trust in this woman. Probably because you were also like subconsciously so ready to be done with what you were doing. That and I think that like she was really fit and she yeah. was lean and thought she was hot. So I also kind of like put trust in her. And that's the first time I've ever said that publicly. Like she was cute. So and she was like older than me, but I was like, man, this chick's like thin and you're not thin, but like lean and like fit and hot. And I'm like, okay, she could help me. Oh, but I actually think that's a really important I mean, this sounds really fucked up, but I do think that's an important piece of um, getting someone to trust you. Like I know when I'm working with girls, they trust me because they know I'm not going to get them fat versus like a lot of girls who have eating disorders are going to work with nutritionists or whatever who they don't look the way they want to look. Do you know what I'm saying? Or even I see, especially now with social media, a lot of girls who have disordered eating habits or whatever, this fucked up relationship with food. And you can see them on social media commenting on other influencers posts like, oh, how much do you eat? How much do you work out? Like they, they want to know from that person because you are going to trust somebody who you, you like the way they look more. A hundred percent. And I, I mean, I know it, I know too, a lot of people are like, oh, that's just vanity. And that's such a bad way to talk. But it's like, you have to recognize facts. And like, I'm not saying that you should choose a coach or a nutritionist or a trainer based on appearance. I mean, I always make the, like one of the realizations that like, one of the best strength coaches as I was coming up was the strength coach at Texas and he was massively overweight. Um, but he's a genius in terms of like his application. And so, you know, appearance doesn't always do it, but at the same token, if you put me in a weight room and you give me like four dudes that are jacked and lean and you give me him and you ask me to pick who I want my coach to be, my initial trust is going to be on the person that looks the part period. Mm -hmm. I know. Like, yeah. The same way they say, that, you know, you don't marry somebody purely on looks. You marry them on personality. Well, you also don't go up to the person at the bar and say like, hey, you've got a really good personality. <laughs> like you yeah. go up to somebody that gets your eye. And I fucking hate saying that, right? Because it sounds so shitty, but it's the truth. Like we have to recognize it as humans when we're treating something as serious as an eating disorder. Yeah, I know for me, like I had really bad exercise addiction and I was just – I felt like I was dying every day working out and I was just waiting for somebody who looked the, the way I wanted to look to say, no, you don't have to work out every day. You don't have to do this much. Like I only, I was just like hoping somebody would tell me I could do less because I wanted validation from them that they did less. Um, and it was like, as soon as I finally found 
somebody who I like the way they look say, oh, yeah, I don't work out every day. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm good. And who was who was your person? Um, it was a, a blog. It was some random blogger because I used to be obsessed with like reading people's what I eat in a days and like how what their exercise routine and over and over again. It was just like the classic trope of all these women who were under eating and like over training. And then finally, I saw somebody who was just like, "Oh, I do yoga a few times a week," and I was like, "Okay, maybe I'll do that." Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. It's it's so funny that like, you know, they, uh, so many people that are in that space of under eating or overeating or overtraining, like you find food obsessions and exercise obsessions. Like, you know, I mean, there's the whole concept of like food porn and like food obsession. It's, it's a real phenomenon and it's usually something that needs to be investigated, but it's, uh, it's a crazy world we live in. Yeah. So, okay. So you just started eating your 4,000 calories a day. Did you like have long-term rebound effects? Like what kind of long-term, what, what would that look like for you? The only, the only long-term issue that stuck with me was my hormones never fully recovered. So I had to, back then I got on uh, androgel, which was like the testosterone cream. And that brought my levels back up to like a 600. Um, if you're familiar with lab work. And then I went to Florida state, uh, some asshole doctor there was like, there's no way I'm prescribing you that at 20 years old. Like you just want steroids. And so he took me off of that, and obviously my testosterone levels tanked again, um, at which point the cream was not sufficient. So ever since then, I've been on injectable testosterone. Mm. But uh, other than that, there were no, no long-term ramifications that I'm aware of. I mean, even my thyroid output is great. So you know, fortunately, I was young enough and resilient enough to, to get through that. Um, I don't think that's the only factor, though. I think that's cause, also because you're a man. I 100% agree. The male hormone profile makes me much more resilient. Yeah, like you guys, like that's why, you know, women. I always, I always say females get the short end of the stick when it comes to metabolism, 100%. Yeah, so I think, you I, know. Like, it's, it's just factual. Like the female hormone profile makes you less resilient. I mean, you know, more testosterone is absolutely going to help you recover from any HPA access issues. I mean, and, and like when you start to look at precursors, DHEA, pregnenolone, like it makes sense. Like the pathways are there for a male to become more resilient, period. I mean, okay. I think this is an interesting topic because, so you're like very open about having this history with anorexia, but I feel like a lot of men also have been anorexic, especially in that, like your space. And they just don't want to say that. I completely agree. And I can 100% tell you it's the truth because when I became like when I did fitness modeling out in LA, every time I would go to a shoot and I was super open about it, it would like open up the floodgates and more guys would start talking about it. So I won't necessarily, I won't necessarily say anorexia, but body image issues, 100%. Um, and, and I would argue at the highest levels. So fitness models or, um, you know, like people that compete, right? Physique competitors. Um, the ratio of men to women that have body image issues are one. It's it's fifty. It's like you know one to one. Like there's mm -hmm. it's a dead even uh, dead even comparison. I totally don't. I mean, I don't doubt that. But I'm curious. Like, did did you ever not want to put a label to that? Like what you had. <sighs> You know what? I recognized instantly that it allowed me to create connections. So when I overcame it, I knew that it was a vehicle. Like 
like I said, I was in a deep, dark depression and overcoming it instantly opened up social channels to me. Um, you know, it instantly opened up a lot of things that I had lacked in my life for that year. And so I knew that nutrition and finding more of myself was a vehicle to becoming better. And so I instantly wanted to pay that forward. So I recognized early that if I shared my story and created connection with individuals, that I would better be able to help them. So I never hesitated to hold back. I guess I understand why people would, but I also, as you can tell, like, I don't hold anything back. Like, I'll fucking tell you anything, anytime. Like, I'm an open book. Um, I just, I have no fucks to give. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I just really like that you're so open about it because I think a lot of women, like, people think of eating disorders as such a, a woman's issue. And, you know, like, I studied psychology in in college and when we were like when I took a class on eating disorders like we were basically taught this is like a women's problem and like I'm like it's not it's just that women are the only people who are getting diagnosed because they're the ones who are asking for help right same thing with like depression whatever all of that but I get so many it was it's actually been interesting because I am mostly just like most of my audience is women but ever since um I started like getting closer to the mind pump guys like and then all like their followers started finding me. I get so many messages from men telling me like, you know, I think I have an eating issue and I'm just like, I feel like this is just this whole underground thing going on and you guys need to fucking talk about it. (laughs) Oh, I think guys need to stop being like, but here's the reality. Most of the guys that develop eating, eating disorders, they're doing it as a cover up for insecurity. And so then needing to come clean and needing to talk to somebody, it's really only exacerbating the issue of being insecure. Mm-hmm, like insecure okay. people don't like to ask for help. They like to cover up their insecurities. And so if you're developed an eating disorder and you recognize that, you have to recognize that it's okay to ask for help. Like you need to overcome the insecurity in the realm of asking for help to overcome the insecurities that are causing the eating disorder. Absolutely. Do you ever have trouble towing the line between help like I don't know feeling like is the advice that you're giving to help somebody optimize um like let's say their body does where is the line between when it's disordered versus like for health do you know what I'm saying so I have have a clinical I have a registered dietitian on my staff to always like from the legal perspective to make sure any of my advice is back Mm-hmm. Because I recognize that I can go gray area and I freely admit it. Um, I Because I was anorexic, I'm able to recognize that like when the behaviors are potentially crossing the line. Uh, I won't say that it qualifies me to make those judgment calls, but I definitely think that it allows me to relate to the behavior better. Um and and know kind of what rabbit hole somebody's trying to go down with me. Yeah, I I think I have okay, for like let's talk about fasting for a second. I'm having a real issue with this fasting thing recently because I'm like I'm seeing all these men talking promoting fasting and I'm like, I'm sorry. At what point is fasting every day and eating one meal a day an eating disorder? Like <laughs> I I mean I, I think that, oh, I think that right now, let's be honest, right? Western culture looks for justification of everything. Mm -hmm. So 
if people can find a way to be like, well, I fasted all day, so I'm getting my supersized Big Mac and fucking fries, like, but I only ate one meal a day and I'm doing intermittent fasting and it's really fucking healthy, right? Like that's Western culture's justification. Um, like there's definitely health benefits of fasting. Like there, you know, like, I mean, Sal, mind pump, like he talks about all the time, like there's definitely the health benefits, but there's also manipulating science for your own gain, which is not fucking healthy, which is bordering on an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and again, just welcome to Western culture. No, I know. I, I just feel like honestly, recently, especially like the keto space fasting is just like the man's excuse to, to be anorexic. Like if I see one more person promoting a daily fast, one meal a day, and then they're, they have like four ounces of steak and greens for dinner. I'm, I'm going to jump that's off a bridge. Like there's, there's nothing that's like, that's even remotely responsible about that. Like, like there, the, I just like, that's mind blowing to me. And I can't honestly say that I've seen anybody do that. So you should definitely send me their profile so I can tell them to shut the fuck up because that's, that's so bad. Like I can't even imagine saying, Hey, I'm going to fast all day and then have four ounces of steak. Like, I literally, like, I mean, I cut UFC fighters, right? And so we lose anywhere from 16 to 18 pounds the final week, depending on who you are. I don't even take them that low. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. took that much weight, I don't even take them that low. So there's nothing remotely responsible about fasting all day. Do you notice, like, us? disordered eating habits um, are occurring mostly in a certain population? that you're working with, like a certain group of people, like a certain, I don't know, people who do I, a certain sport. To be honest, now I would say it's the answer is no. But like when I first got started 10, 15 years ago, it was more in like your common dancing, gymnastics, ice skating, um, anywhere where you're presenting in very little clothing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's really funny though. I had a, I recorded a podcast earlier today and one of the business coaching clients that I have, she's starting a business to help educate children, like high school athletes and their parents on proper weight cutting protocols for weight dominant sports in high school. So like wrestling or, you know, if they have to do things for football or, you know, whatever it might be, because there's no real education out there. Um, and the, like the high school wrestlers that ultimately become college wrestlers and then you know, their, their body is completely fucked later in life. Like it's awful to see, um, because I just think what you're instilling at an early age is so messed up. Um, I watched the 30 for 30 on ESPN a couple nights ago about Buster Douglas when he beat Mike Tyson and to like present day Buster Douglas does not look like a healthy person. Now, mind you, he got punched in the face for a living, but also he was pretty overweight. And so I can only imagine that the techniques used to make weight back then left him in a place where he's not overly healthy. Um, so I, I definitely think any weight controlled sport is not a great recipe for success. Yeah, I think it's becoming such an issue now also just with social media. Like we talked before how just regular people now are trying to train as if they're professional athletes, just getting, making them their bodies totally fucked up. But now because everybody also, they don't even realize they're like slyly trying to live their lives. Like they're an Instagram model. Like everyone, everyone I know thinks that they're a model on Instagram. So now it's like everybody's body is on display more so than before um, because they're taking pictures and analyzing. Right. 
Um, and I just think that's why I just think social media is like breeding it. Oh, I completely agree. I think that, um, you know, every single person is beginning to play the comparison game at an all time high. And, you know, it's, uh, anytime you play the comparison game, it's not positive, uh, in any industry. And especially people like you said, that are not getting on a physique stage or not competing athletically or not trying to be a world champion, like to, to allow yourself to play the comparison game at that level is there's just nothing positive about it. You speaking of social media, you don't really seem to like social media too much. I hate social media with a passion. <laughs> Why? <laughs> uh, it's actually really funny because the mind pump guys always say like dollars for follower. I will beat everybody um, because I've built a pretty, I built several successful businesses with a pretty low following. Um, I don't know. Like it's just not my jam. Like, I also like I'm very much a realist and so I have a hard time looking at like Instagram and being like, oh, I need to post this. Like I don't find my life that fascinating and I'm a grinder. So I don't do like sexy things like, you know, half my half my time is spent like on an airplane flying to um, a level one and then I present and it's like, do you want to see me present every single weekend? Like it's not that cool. Do you want to see me like sit on my couch and take like 10 client phone calls every day. Like that's not that cool. Um, I, I don't really think I'm that cool of a person. I think that like, I mean, I guess I have like some knowledge and like, I mean, I guess I'm pretty fun to hang out with. That's what people say. But like, I don't know. I, I just like, I'm a, I'm a pretty like standard dude. So it's never, never really been my jam. Trust me. That's what everybody thinks, but everybody wants, people are so weird. Like people want to know everything everyone's doing. They want to know what you had for breakfast. They want to know what you're sitting on the couch watching on TV. They want to know everything. Maybe people would be fascinated to know I'm doing this interview from bed. (laughs) Probably. They they want, see, they, they like to know that, you know, I'm literally laying in bed as we do this interview. Um, I like weird thing about me. My most creative space is in bed. That used to be me. It was me for like six years. Now, now my most creative space is when I'm standing up. Some of my most, like some of my best work has come in hotel room beds. So like when I travel, I don't sit at like the hotel desk. And I like, there was, there was a a year, it was like four years ago. I traveled 37 out of 52 weekends. And so I would get up in the morning and I would get back in bed with my computer and my, of course, my Starbucks, um, and I would just crank out work. And so like whatever I created, like whatever connection I created cognitively with like bed plus work, like it stuck with me. So now my morning routine is I get up, I drive to Starbucks, I get my drink, I come back, I get back in bed. Um, so you literally just laying in bed all day doing work? Um, until about 10 and then I go downstairs and I take my calls from downstairs, but yeah, until about 10 in the morning. Um, or like my wife will go, like my daughter usually wakes up at like eight 30 or nine. And so she'll like get her out of the crib and like bring her in the room and she'll normally like lay in bed and try to like touch the computer, which becomes annoying enough that I'll shut it down and go downstairs. Okay. So, well, you're only doing that for a few hours and not there like literally all day. Yeah, no, it's like I mean, it's like three to four hours of focused work, yeah. Um, yeah. which is, in my opinion, that's really all I crank out of like focused work every day. And then the rest of it is like that's the work that I say like moves my business forward. Um, the work I do during the day just keeps my business moving. The, well, I think what is it like the human brain can really only get like four to five hours of deep creative work a day or something. Yeah, like after 10 a.m. I'm done. 
Like I won't be creative. I won't write content. I won't try to write a book. Like I'm working on two different books right now. Uh, I won't try to write anything. I won't try to write blogs. I don't try to write copy. All of my creative work, like copy or, or articles, is done first thing in the morning. Wait, this I love this. Can you lay out your day for me? Like, what time yeah. do you wake up? I'm so. I this is my. I love knowing what people's days look like. Um, I try to be up no later than six. Um, in, at Starbucks, and then I'm back home. I'm back in bed usually six thirty, six forty. Uh, I'm in bed till no later than ten. Uh, I'm downstairs working um, until four-ish, and then I am uh, at the gym. I'm home. I I'm actually in the process of trying to revamp this, but currently as it sits, I'm home at like six. Uh, we do dinner as a family, and then it's like family time. Um, that's literally every single day. So right now though, one thing we found is it's, um, we have a pretty busy household. And so I'm going to try to now work until 10, take calls until about 1230, go to the gym at like 1230, uh, come home, do the rest of my calls until like 530 and then just be home the rest of the night. Uh, cause it's much easier for me to have a presence in the house, uh, to help with all the kids. How many kids? There's four kids running around the house. Oh my gosh. They're 12, 10, 7, and then we have a nine-month-old. That's a lot of kids. It's a lot of fucking kids. Oh my gosh. Yes, it is. So are you just working straight? Do you ever like take breaks? Like do you um, walk around? Yeah, and I mean I'm fortunate enough that like, you know, my work during the day is phone calls. And my so my superpower is definitely like memory. Um so like I have a secretary on all of pretty much every call. And so she takes all the notes and, you know, my clients always have updated notes and my, like, she, you know, we just kind of chit chat. So, you know, like today while I was on some calls, like I went to the grocery store, uh, I picked up a couple Christmas gifts, like, um, you know, no stress. Like I can pick up the kids from school and, and so I, I kind of get my shit done during the day while I'm working too. Oh my God. That, that's so funny. You have someone else taking notes for you. Yeah. hundred percent. Cause I, again, like the whole admin thing, like I don't want to fucking do that. Okay, that just blew my mind. I've never heard of someone doing that. So are you? But so are you still? You like are working with people one on one still? In addition to I don't do I don't do any nutrition coaching anymore. Oh, okay, okay. I don't. I, I'll say that I don't take on new nutrition coaching clients right now. Uh, not saying I won't because I always try to keep at least like ten. Um, I like to still be connected. It was, it's like my first love. I'll never, I'll never lose it. I absolutely love doing it. Um, but you know, like my mission is impact. And so I want my impact to be as big as possible in this world. And I know that if I limit that to just how many people I can work with at any given time, it's going to be, you know, 100, 150. And that's not enough people. So my time is better spent growing the business, empowering coaches, educating other coaches, helping them grow their business. Um, you know, I want to, I want to help 1 million people reach 1000 people and that will hit a billion people helped from my touch by the day I die. And I believe I'll do it. Hell yeah, you will. I like so, it. It's the billion person mission. Um, and like, I'm pretty clear on it. I mean, I think that, you know, NCI is in its infancy. We, we hit a thousand people in our first fiscal year. Um, you know, I, I firmly believe we'll, we'll easily do, you know, hundred thousand people there, obviously inside of the mastermind. Um, you know, I've, I've built just in like this last year, I, you know, I took like four different people from $0 in January to multiple six figures by this month. 
Um, and, you know, I've built a couple seven figure earners. And so obviously with income comes impact. So it's, uh, it's awesome, man. Like there's, there's just nothing more I want to do. Like I, I truly am the most blessed individual in the world for getting to do what I do. Well, your passion definitely shines through. I am like, I love it. I think it's so cool what you're doing. You're helping, you really are helping so many people. And then because you're helping other people help other people. Uh, Exactly, man. And like, you know, when I first opened up the mastermind, people were like, you're crazy. Like you're literally building your competitors. And I'm like, cool. Like there's a billion people. There's, you know, there's billions of people in this world that need our help. Like if I, if I am naive enough to think that I personally can help all of them, like I'm an asshole. Fuck that. Like I need to help more people. And and listen, there's people that aren't going to resonate with me. That's super cool. Like totally good. And, and you know, you're going to resonate with somebody that's more soft spoken and not out, you know, not as loud as me and doesn't swear. And, um, that's okay. And like, you know, props to you for understanding that and, and knowing what you need to be successful. And, and then there's people that come into my mastermind that that's who they are and I can pair them up better. And so, um, you know, I also, I'll boldly state this on your podcast. I've never said this. I firmly believe I'm redefining the mastermind world. I oh, think, shit. <laughs> I think the mastermind world's completely fucked. And here we are, December of 2018. I believe I'm completely redefining it. How? I believe right now the mastermind is a giant circle jerk of people playing connection games. And you pay twenty-five dollars to $35,000 to be part of this group where everybody's going to fluff you up and tell you you're great. And you show up at these quarterly meetings. And then they're like, go do this for the next 90 days. You're super excited and then you go home and you're like, fuck, what do I do again? And like you don't have any action steps. And then the person's like, well, you know, you pay me for the connections and the group. And so you can't call me. You can't text me. You know, if you email me, I'll email you back three days later. Like, fuck that. So inside of ours, I give you full access to me on text message. Um, We schedule phone calls every two weeks. And again, this was built on what I learned in the space coming up. So like when I had when I would hire business coaches they wouldn't, they would tell me like theory. They would tell me like, this is what you should do. You know, get an autoresponder, build an email list, market to your email list. Right. It's like, well, that's cool. Well, I didn't, I'm technology illiterate. So what the fuck is an autoresponder? What software do I use? Who can do that for me? Um, what do I write in these emails? How do I ask for a sale? How do I take payment? Like, and it might sound really remedial, but I promise you, these are the questions at every beginning, uh, internet marketer has. And so I've recognized like from day one, like whether you're Christy Campbell that came to me last year in January with nothing and now makes $18,000 a month or whether you're Cody, Cody McBroom that hired me making $10,000 a month and now makes $50,000 a month. Um, you have different needs. And so when we get on a call, we are going to talk about your needs for the next two weeks. Now we do set 90 day goals But I work on action, period. You take action the next two weeks, you get the next two action steps. If you don't take the action, why do I need to give you the next action steps? Um, And so I just kind of create like a paint-by-numbers scenario. And I'm very involved with every one of my clients' businesses. And and I think that's why we've created faster and rapid success. Um, I would put our results against anybody. Not one person has joined my mastermind and not gone 3x. I think that's why like so many people – mastermind seems so scammy because most of them are just a piece yeah. of shit. I hate the word. I hate the fact that we even use the word mastermind. Yeah. I'm like, me. why do you call it that? Yeah. It's called the all in mastermind and, um, change it. I actually, 
Yeah, like we totally should. But I have like branded materials that say all in mastermind. So I'll tell you this, like anybody that like wants to experience, like we do a one day experience, give me eight hours of your time. I will blow your mind. Like I'll put my results against anybody. Like I've had influencers come in my room. I've had top business people come in my room. Like I'm so on this mission right now that like I'm changing the scammy nature right now. Like this is, it's so fun. Like I got to tell you, it's so fun. And like, dude, I promise no one's ever seen, no one's ever seen it. Like it's just, it's different. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. That's amazing. Do you not? Like you're in California. So like I would love for you to come to our next one in March. And obviously I won't charge you. Just come, like be a part of it. And I promise you, you'll be able to go and be like, okay, he wasn't bullshitting. Where is it? It'll be in Scottsdale. Oh, I'll come. Dope. You're there. Hell yeah. Do you not get overwhelmed with all... I'm sure so many people are texting you all day. Yeah, all day. How do you like, handle that? Since we've been going, I think I have like 32 text messages. Um, I just fucking talk to them, man. They're human beings, like human connection. Uh, it's what I love. So I don't know. You just answer and oh if you don't want to answer right now, then we just wait. Like, it's all good, you know? I, I don't know. I This is my jam. Like, I don't know anything else, you know? And, and I think so many people look at it and they would be scared and probably rightfully so because I'm a little bit crazy. Um, but You're not crazy. You're a machine is what you are. Yes, people say that. Um, <laughs> it's okay, though. Like, you know, I... Somebody tell me, you know, one of my All In Elite members yesterday said, hey, I want to get connected to Rachel Hollis. And I was like, man, that's a big name. Okay, cool. Five minutes later, oh, someone's calling me. Fuck them. Um, <laughs> Speak of the devil. <laughs> um, so, but, you know, like five minutes later, I had her connected to Rachel Hollis. And, and I don't know Rachel, but I knew somebody that did. And, you know, I'm always down to... I'm always down to hustle it for my people. And I, I love that because, you know, like I know seeing somebody happy is the ultimate gift. Mm -hmm. If you can go out and you can build happiness for somebody, be it physically, be it nutritionally, be it business, be it personally, like, dude, the game is so cool. Like, it's such an opportunity. Well, you're certainly excellent at pitching yourself. I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> and this is, this is no pitch. I can pitch you. Like, I can teach you the pitch secrets. So. <laughs> we won't get into that now. Well, okay. This has been awesome. Can you tell everybody um, where they can find more from you if they want to? What should they do if they want to set up your mastermind or the, or the, progr or the certification program? So I'm not going to pitch either, um, but I will tell you where you can get them. Okay. Okay. Um, so first of all, like you said, I suck on social media. So you have a lot of listeners and a lot of followers. Like I will pitch the fact that I would love a bigger social media following. So if you are so kind and you would go to Jason Phillips underscore IN3 um, and follow me, it would mean a great deal to me. And then you can DM me and tell me how bad I suck at social. Um <laughs> But yeah, like that's pretty much like that. And then just my name, Jason Phillips on Facebook. Um, I try to respond to as many DMs as possible. I'm really bad about getting to like those message requests. Um, so, but I will ultimately get to them. So even if it's like a month later, I'll get to it. Um, there's that. And then obviously just our two websites, man, IN3Nutrition.com. That's all the nutrition coaching. That's the business stuff. Uh, and then there's the Nutritional Coaching Institute, which is NCICertifications.com. 
And um, yeah, like all the products are there, man. I'm not gonna pitch anybody. Like if it if it sounds cool, like hit me up. If I can help you, hit me up. Like I'm not one of those assholes that's like, hey, hit me up, and I'm gonna charge you for a phone call. Like if I can move you forward, dude, just hit me up, and I'm gonna help you in every possible way. You're the best. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll help you with your social media. <laughs> yes, like we need we need all the influencers to come together and help me with social media. It's it's so bad, like it. Uh, like I think people sometimes are like, this guy's not legit. His social media is terrible. Um, yeah, low key. That's why you're hard to uh, figure out because usually people you can get a sense of someone by their Instagram, and you're just you don't know anything about you from your Instagram. It's mysterious on purpose. It's uh, <laughs> like ever no, it's not. On your podcast, you're gonna get a guy that says fuck a lot and. <laughs> Um, a guy that gives zero fucks, but yeah, like, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, that's just me. I would, I would much rather spend my time every single day podcasting with chill people and, um, presenting and creating impact than being on Instagram. And maybe again, I'm old, like I'm 34, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not the twenties generation. So maybe I missed the whole, uh, Instagram boat, but that's a terrible excuse because Adam's older than me and he crushes Instagram. So you here, this is your lesson from me is you need to stop saying that you're old because you're not. Uh, <laughs> people watch, I'm going to get so much hate from this, from this podcast. And they're going to be like, that guy said he's old and he's 34. Like, fuck him. Yeah, seriously. You, yeah, you shouldn't say that to people, but huge thank you to Jason for coming on the podcast. I had such fun time recording with him. Make sure you check him out. Go follow him on Instagram at JasonPhillips underscore IN3. He needs more followers, obviously. And then you can find him at IN3Nutrition.com. You can go to NCICertifications.com and find out more about the Nutritional Coaching Institute. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you left a rating and a review on iTunes. It really helps me get the word out about the podcast. And I also encourage you to always share episodes and tell guests if you enjoyed when they were on the episode. We love hearing that feedback. And I love to just help spread the word about awesome people, awesome episodes. So you can help me do that. Also, if you're not already in our Facebook group, make sure you join Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. You can just search for that on Facebook. Request to join. I will accept you. And then you can meet other listeners. That's going to be it for this episode. I hope you have an amazing day and I will chat with you again next time. Bye.